It's Monday the 24th of February 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Derek T. Allen, a translator, student activist and self-proclaimed jack-of-all-trades, and by the Ruv broadcast journalist and TV presenter Einar Thorstensson. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the group of teens who attacked a 14-year-old in Kopavogur has dominated public discourse this week. Uh, f- for example, how much of a problem is violence in our society and what should be done to minimise it? The seismic and magma activity on the Reykjanes Peninsula has also been a discussion point, with fewer earthquakes, but suddenly very gassy caves. <laughs> uh, the Eplingstrike dis- uh, dispute with the city of Reykjavik remains unresolved, and ten times more public sector workers under the BSRB uh, union organisation are planning to strike from the 9th of March as well. While uh, Mani Shahidi and his family deportation case continues, the Directorate of Immigration has rejected an asylum request from another Iranian family with young children, and they face possible deportation back to Greece. Uh, This comes in the same week that the Justice Minister Minister said that Iceland won't be sending more people back to Greece. So there's a bit of a disconnect there somewhere. Iceland will remain on the FATF grey list of countries until at least this autumn, it has been revealed. And there was good news for the national culinary team and for Dill Restaurant, which got its Michelin star back again. So, where yeah. would you like to begin? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, certainly good news for uh, Dill Restaurant, oh. uh, but it's very expensive to go there. <laughs> so, I mean, it's expensive to eat everywhere in Iceland, so yeah. <laughs> I've personally never been to this restaurant. No. Um, I'd be willing to try it if someone were to take me. <laughs> I actually, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, no, sorry, a few months ago, I got a, a gift card to go there. Oh. Uh, so uh, I was able to go. Uh, but at that time, they didn't have the Michelin star. But I, I'm not sure they <laughs> have changed that much. But it was uh, amazing. They have great food there. Was this after they moved? Uh, yeah, oh. after they moved, yeah. Because it's but, interesting, we've got this Michelin-starred restaurant in the same building as Bonus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Iceland, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Do you think does it have a direct effect this on the prices you mentioned? Like, will it go up now immediately? Probably. I would think so. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd like to eat there. But, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously, this is good news for one company, right. one small company, uh, frankly. But it's got wider implications, doesn't it? It's good for all the, the culinary scene, I guess. Exactly, and it's kind of, I suppose, a pride of Iceland now that there's a Michelin star restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, has it been done before in Iceland? By them. By them. They well, had it and then lost it. Okay, so, I mean, it's good that it's back. Indeed. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And two bits of good food news in the same week is, is unusual. Yeah. Third place in the culinary Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Do they have an opening ceremony in which all the chefs just walk with the flags? Or... The, I, I saw a video from the prize giving at the end, and there were a lot of flags. Oh, so okay. Possible, yeah. yeah. I, Very nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, where would we like to begin? I mean, there have been a lot of quite large news stories uh, this week or last week so um, and and this week uh, is going to be big uh, regarding the strikes mm. uh, this is a, a story that you know everybody's following it and it has such great implications for families and uh, so I'm so lucky I have I have two daughters and uh, uh, 
Uh, one of them is in uh, a private school in uh, Isak Skoli in Reykjavik, so they are not affected. And and I live in Kopovor, so uh, my older one is in in, in a school in uh, Kopovor. So uh, uh, they have not been forced to, you know, uh, go home and stay there. But I can see that this uh, company here, the, the Icelandic uh, National Broadcasting Union, is a uh, you know, every we see kids all around the halls here, and it's uh, taking a lot of toll. Mm. Uh, but you know, hopefully they will uh, reach an agreement soon because this is going to be very tough, especially if uh, BSRB uh, will, you know, continue with their uh, plans on striking. They seem to have <clears throat> a slightly more positive tone. I, I, I feel than Epling. Like there is. The, the the news coming out from BSRB is we're confident that a deal will be struck before the 9th of March. Mm. Obviously, wait and see. But if it isn't, there'll be, what is it, like 18,000 people? And currently there's 1,800 people, so it's a mm-hmm. massive difference. Yeah. And that would affect uh, schools and preschools across most of the country, yeah, as well as everything else. Yeah. Right. It's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And they are striking against Reykjavikopork, right? Yeah, so I did work for them for a time. Um, it was one of the first jobs I had when I moved to Iceland. And I was 19, 20 at the time, so I was content with it. But looking back, I would not work for them again because just the wages were incredibly low. And I feel that they especially take advantage of the immigrants that come here because they don't know about the rights and they don't know um, necessarily the cost of living here quite yet. Mm. And just, I am in full support of Epling and BSRB in these strikes. Um, I am hoping that a positive conclusion comes of this, but we'll see. Mm. What is the sticking point, the big biggest sticking points that you know of? Well, uh, about a year ago, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the private sector uh, agreed on uh, this called... Uh, this, uh, uh, agreement called Livskerasamningur, mm-hmm. uh, which is how would you translate that into I've, English? I've called it vaguely sort of the quality of life contract. Or yeah, something. yeah. You know, there was a um, very important agreement for uh, the government and for the public sector and the workers' unions. Uh, and everybody thought, okay, this will be, you know, a president for the, the public sector. Uh, but now... Uh, it somehow came to uh, as a surprise, as you know, when they asked for more. Mm. But then again, when you look at the numbers they are getting, and um, you can totally understand why they want more. Uh, but then again, you know, there there is a number, there is a magic number there somewhere, and uh, I guess that uh, they will reach an agreement in the end. But, they, well, uh, they have to, don't they? Yeah, and and but the the thing is, everybody is afraid of that. You know, the increase in percentage that uh, the lowest wages uh, 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 employers will get uh, will go up the up the scale. So you know, BSRB and other uh, uh, workers' unions groups will you know, say we're going to have to ask for this also. So, uh, and then the uh, quality of life agreement has somehow gone through the window. 
Mm. And the risk, of course, is that if everyone gets a decent pay rise in the whole country, then just inflation goes up and yeah. eats the pay rise immediately and no one gets the benefit of it. Mm. But I mean, the reason that these strikes are happening in the first place is because of all the inflation going on around us, yet salaries are not increasing. So something needs to be done about the inflation first before we try and, well, I mean, not saying that we need to do that first, but something needs to be addressed with that and then... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because inflation hasn't been a problem for the last few years, and it, I think that that's kind of the yeah. risk that it could become that's, so again. That's the interesting thing, because uh, we've always been battling this uh, uh, inflation problem, and you know, uh, raising wages, and then the inflation eats it up. But that hasn't happened uh, during the last years. So. Uh, you know the model that uh, many have been aiming to establish here is that you know mm, increasing the wages fairly but not too much so we don't have this problem again and it has happened uh, but you know mm, i can relate to the, the, you know the feelings that people are having that you know the housing prices are extremely high here and uh, then we have this uh, argument that, you know, if we don't uh, value education, then we won't have uh, teachers in the in preschools. So, uh, and the gap, the wage gap between uh, those who have education and the, those who don't, that has to be some incentive to go and study this because we need teachers there. Mm. So that's a, it's a difficult situation because in the end it's a human being that is getting paid every month. So, uh, you know, it's not easy. No. And, you, yeah, everyone deserves to be able to afford to live. Exactly. Yeah. So. I'm just excited to see what will come of this. I feel like something revolutionary could arise and I'm a revolutionary at heart, so I'd like to see it. Mm. Okay. Um, on that note, maybe we'll move on to the next topic. Of your choice. Well, what do you have for us? <laughs> well, you were talking about uh, the attack on the 14-year-old in Kobur. That was a horrible video we saw last week. Yeah. And uh, we in the media have had some criticism for showing it at all. Mm. Um, like, that this is really bad for him and his family, which I understand it is. Mm, yeah. Where's you, where do you stand on that? Well, we covered the faces and we haven't named the boy. Uh, neither the uh, perpetrators, so we're uh, in the clear in that sense. But uh, I feel, you know, sometimes when we are facing uh, news that are revealing that our society isn't very nice, um, it's uh, it's not uh, the role of the media to portray the society as we want it to be, but how it is. So, uh, I mean. It has had a profound effect on people, and now we have debate and discussions on violence, and I think that's a very important thing. And maybe the debate that we're having this week wouldn't be as serious and as, as all-pervasive if we hadn't seen this footage, because it was quite nasty. Exactly, it was really gruesome, but as Einar was saying, we unfortunately cannot sugarcoat it because this is reality, mm-hmm. and these things happen, unfortunately. So it does no good to shield people from them. Yeah. The boy's father has spoken to the media, mm-hmm. um, and he 
says it's he believes it's a, a racist attack mm-hmm. um, because he I don't know many of the details but I know the native language is Spanish um, but that's not beyond the realms of possibility is it we have to believe him on that probably I mean it's a, his it's his uh, uh, understanding and I mean I have no reason to you know not believe him no which obviously gives an an explanation for it but that's, it's not it's not a good one you know we could have be tackling these problems yeah absolutely i feel that it definitely could be some sort of racist or xenophobic attack and um this is going to be a bit of a hot take maybe a bit controversial but i feel that people would be acting differently if the perpetrators were maybe immigrants or came from immigrant backgrounds mm-hmm. or maybe the boy that was attacked was just completely Icelandic because there is of course a lot of hostility sometimes against people of different ethnic backgrounds and of different na- national backgrounds and whatnot and at least drawing from my experience from the US they definitely treat people of color in the media who per- um, who perpetrate such crimes way worse I feel that if the boys who had attacked were maybe immigrants or came from different backgrounds, that they would be named and then their faces would be would be shown. And if the boy was maybe uh, just a white Icelandic guy, then maybe he'd be treated a lot differently. He'd be heralded, whereas this is not really happening right now. And, and I, I suspect that that could be the case, that there's some sort of racist or xenophobic motivation behind it. But of course, I, we do not know that. Mm-hmm. I'm very relieved it wasn't the other way around, like you described, because right. uh, that would be so bad for uh, our society, you know, because, you know, there are always people who feed on xenophobia and the discussion would be completely different if it was the other way. But again, you know, I uh, I got an email uh, from my daughter's school after this incident. And they had actually talked about it, and the teacher was letting us know that they had been talking about it, how they, how kids should respond if they see something like this. So this is uh, this debate. I mean, my daughter had all, uh, of course, uh, seen the video, and everybody was shocked seeing uh, this horrible violence. Um, but the, the, there is a good thing coming out of this. I hope uh, you know. Children are being, uh, they're, they're talking about this, uh, so awareness uh, on how to respond and uh, is, is, is probably, hopefully, growing. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope that we can get a discussion going on bullying and racism and xenophobia as well, mm-hmm. because none of those things are good, obviously, but I don't think that people understand the magnitude of these things. Mm-hmm. And there's been quite a lot of emphasis on 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 bullying prevention and and shining a light on that for several years in Iceland now. Absolutely. I wonder if this is an indication of the, that it's not working, or that it would you know the situation might be worse. Otherwise, I I would hope it would be the latter. Right. I just think that a lot of bullying campaigns recently have just kind of been lackluster. So a different approach needs to be taken because people are aware that bullying is bad and that you shouldn't do it. But people need to know how bullying can manifest itself and what people can do about it, which is not much covered in these campaigns, I feel. Mm-hmm. What people can do about it, as in the help available or? Um, just the help available and also just how to interfere if possible. 
Um, for example, if there's a fight going on, you know, try and get in the middle of it. Of course, with something like this, I would not advise that. But mm. you could also call the cops, and people don't know these things. Mm-hmm. People were filming and not calling the cops. Exactly. And I'm thinking, where do these kids come from, and why are they not responding? Right. I mean, least, I, I, I don't. Uh, you know, it's hard to relate to this kind of thinking. You know, it's always there were always school fights. You know, when we were young, but. You know, this was so gruesome and so vicious. This attack. There were so many, and he was on the ground. And you know, this is something that you shouldn't be seeing. Well, the footage we saw though wasn't that from a participant. That was someone that probably. Yeah. I don't think it was just yeah. a bystander. Yeah. I'd hope not. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, perhaps it was someone that thought that it'd be good to have proof for law enforcement mm-hmm. should they have come on, onto the scene, but they should have at least called first, and they may be recorded. Yeah. I'm not saying that they should have recorded it at all, but if they were going to, then mm-hmm. that'd be the best way to approach it, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I mean, don't grab your phone out and start recording as the first thing. Yeah. But saying that, having video footage of any crime is obviously positive from the police point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to add on that, or should we move on? Let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. Um We've done the strikes. We've got uh, the the gassy caves. We've got the, the immigration issues, which seem to be going on and on. Yeah. Uh, the money laundering greatest. Well, there is this ongoing story about uh, Mani uh, Shahidi mm. and his family uh, and the deportation. You know, that's a story that always catches uh, the attention of the public. Uh, people being deported, it's always sad and it's always hard. And it's always hard to cover also, I feel. I feel the media is doing, uh, having a hard time uh, covering these stories because uh, it's just a natural feeling that you <clears throat> you want to see everyone happy. You want to see everyone, you know, be able to fulfill their dreams. Uh, but then again, we have this system uh, and we can debate on how the system is working and, and the rules that we have uh, agreed to have. But it's uh, these are the hardest stories, I think, that we cover here uh, because these are human beings. And, uh, and it's also hard because we don't have the facts. We see, you know, people are fighting for their future. And we have seen that we don't always get the whole story. We don't always get the, all the facts. And it's understandable. Uh, Everyone's going to put their own yeah, point and, of view, yeah, their own perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very sad story. Just I find it... I'm not surprised, unfortunately, by any of this. Um, it's disappointing, certainly, but not surprising. Mm-hmm. It's just that I know that a lot of people are tired with ISIN portraying itself as some sort of wonderland for immigrants and being open-minded and whatnot when things like this are happening, when Mani and his family are facing deportation as well as another Iranian family. And just it shows that the system is deeply flawed and that things need to change. But of course, people don't want to acknowledge it. For example, like coming from the U.S., Icelanders are always criticizing my country Mm -hmm. and how people are with immigration and Trump and everything. But there's so much going on here at home that... It, people are just kind of turning a blind eye to, at least the legislators are. And it's, of course, like I said, it's not surprising, 
but it is upsetting. Mm. The core of it is the um, the the Dublin Accord, the Dublin Regulation Accord, mm-hmm. Dublin Accord, I think, which says that European countries that sign up to this will return people to their first point of entry within Schengen. Um, and in the case of uh, Mani Shahidi, it was Portugal. Um, of course, him and his family fear being deported from Portugal back to Iran, which is the core of this. Uh, and I, I couldn't comment on that. But Portugal itself is not an unsafe country. Mm-hmm. And the, so people on the other side of this argument in Iceland are saying, well, why not send them back to Portugal? We've got this law in place. What's wrong with that? I just think that the core of it is that Mani has been here for long enough to speak Icelandic, to learn Icelandic, to make friends. I'm sure that his parents have made friends and have made connections here. So it's just everything that they, or a lot of what they have is here. So it's it would be devastating for them to lose all of that. It would be like if your house burned down or if you were told that you had to leave the country that you'd been living in for years and years. That's the core of it because in Iceland... I'm not sure what the laws are about how long um, asylum seekers and refugees may stay until they get some sort of answer. Mm. But I know in other countries, like in Norway, it's 90 days maximum. Whereas in Iceland, you have people staying here for years, only just to be told that they cannot stay after having learned Icelandic, gotten a job, met people, fostered connections, what else? And just something needs to change. Yeah. I, I think that many can relate to this uh, uh, this fact that you know it's something fundamentally wrong sending a child back to some countries, even though it's a safe country, if it has established uh, established a new life here in Iceland, learned Icelandic or made friends, at least made friends and started uh, going to school somewhere and gotten used to living here. There's something fundamentally wrong with sending a child back. Mm. to another country uh, when that has happened. But then again, uh, what troubles me is that some uh, asylum seekers have, uh, they don't have maybe a, a large safety net here in Iceland, but some are able to uh, get a good lawyer who is savvy enough to uh, get the story in the media, and the media creates uh, a public opinion and some kind of a buzz surrounding on one case. And maybe in some cases, these uh, families who get the spotlights are not the ones who really need it. Some people are in real danger coming here and are really uh, harassed by the governments of the countries where they come from. And maybe they are too afraid to you know, be in the spotlight in Iceland. And maybe they, those are the people who are actually in the most danger. And we need to help them uh, more than some other families. And so the media a, spotlight shouldn't be necessary. No, it's, well, sometimes I feel like I, I work in the Supreme Court. You know, we are not, mm-hmm. we are the media. We are not the ones who are supposed to be, um, you know, being the key in the process of getting a, 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 a asylum here. It's a... It's, uh, it's somehow troubling that uh, we see all these cases being turned just because they, they get the spotlight. And we know that there are many cases in the system that need uh, asylum here, you know, uh, that should get the spotlight. But if we would cover all those 
stories, we would do nothing else, I think. And I certainly agree with you to an extent. I just think that for Mani in particular, he is transgender. Mm -hmm. So to be transgender or just LGBT in any way in Iran is really not okay. So, I mean, of course, like we established earlier, they would be in Portugal and perhaps in Iran, but they would definitely be sent back to Portugal. Mm -hmm. But... And it comes down to, should we trust Portugal to handle the case? And do we have any uh, reason not to trust Portugal? I I, I don't know. I I haven't uh, looked into it. But um, I would think it's a a rather uh, uh, friendly country with good infrastructure that could take care of this case. Maybe that's a good point in the conversation to introduce this second family, because we do have reason not to trust Greece. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because anything they've done wrong, they're just overwhelmed and the conditions there are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And yet this second family are likely to be deported back to Greece. But that's that's uh, surprising to hear it because uh, my understanding was that uh, uh, the Icelandic government was not sending children to Greece. That's what it says here in black and white. But still, Utlending and Stoplin have rejected their, uh, their application. I've read in this mm-hmm. news article from uh, what, yesterday. Mm-hmm. No, Friday. No. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. I was surprised to see this. Mm-hmm. Is that like, where's the dis, where's the disconnect? Where's where's something going wrong? If the justice minister who is in charge of the directorate of immigration can say this, and then her directorate isn't following through, where's the maybe wasn't the ghost opening? The doesn't have uh, the regulations or law to. Uh, uh, make this decision. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I have to look into it. We have to find out the truth here. Hmm. I just think that there's probably way too many hands in the pot, and there's no accountability being placed on anyone really. So just everyone who's involved in any way just needs to sit down and talk everything out and figure out what is going on because it's just so fragmented right now, and there's no. Just I don't know. It's so, it's not cohesive at all, and it makes no sense. And the system is awful. I've complained about it earlier um, in the show, but I will repeat it because it is important to hear that there is a lot that is wrong, and there are a lot of gaps that need to be bridged. But there's just I don't know. There's not enough teamwork. Yeah. As as a non-European citizen, you have to deal with them, don't you? Yeah. Get visas and, and yes, absolutely. Permits and things about every six or so months and then every time I get a new job I have to go down there and it was so easy when they were just in Reykjavik but now you know you're in the middle of Kopavogr and they are constantly raising the fees for applications and mm-hmm. introducing new requirements and it it's not easy especially for refugees um, I'm privileged in a sense that I come from you know I'm not fleeing a country but they are at risk of being deported back to a country that does not have the appropriate resources for them. So I think that I understand that in Iceland that there's a limited place, even for native Icelanders, let alone for refugees. But there needs to be more responsibility and more, like I said, accountability. Mm-hmm. And reliability. Exactly. As well. Like we don't need, to, we, like we mentioned before, we don't need, we shouldn't need the media to be yeah. doing the good no. work yeah. fighting the good fight the thing is this is this topic is one of the hottest topics in in 
politics everywhere. You know, you see Germany right now. It's um, you know everything is uh, uh, evolves around this issue. You see Sweden. You see you know the Swedish uh, Democrats and uh, and here in Iceland, there we have been fortunate enough not to have a xenophobic party uh, going forward with a only xenophobic plan. You know, there has also, of course, been xenophobic tendencies within some parties during the uh, years. But uh, we have not seen a, a, a xenophobic party that goes forward only with that agenda. And uh, the legislators have been, I think, it was a good move that they did in uh, 2015 when they started revising the law on immigrants because they uh, chose they had like a, a committee where they had uh, members from all parties uh, coming together to try to rewrite this law and it come, somehow took the pressure out of uh, the issue you know, having people from with different perspectives uh, coming together and write the law, but then the follow through and how the you know how you uh, uh, use the law and practice uh, and and you know when you test the law, mm-hmm. we have all kinds of uh, issues and I think people are still somehow um, finding a way to you know you know. Uh, work with this system and um, and one is immigration and, and, and integration and then we have this uh, asylum seekers uh, issue uh, the uh, all the refugees and that is a totally different issue because uh, for example we are doing here in uh, on the 10th of March a television show about uh, integration we have over 50,000 immigrants in Iceland people who have settled settled down here and we want to find out how are they doing how is the second generation of immigrants doing uh, what can what are other countries doing that we are not doing mm-hmm. uh, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh, the focus is so much on asylum seekers and uh, and that all those sad stories that I think we're kind of forgetting how are we changing this society with all this uh, with this number of, of immigrants who are basically the core of our economy today uh, they are doing all the all the important service sector jobs the tourism the uh, man, uh, production industries mm-hmm. uh, and we wouldn't have this uh, economic boom here if we ha- you know if we uh, didn't have these people so uh but then again we are not focusing on integration we're always focusing on immigration and uh, i think that's a very dangerous thing and we're going to uh, this is a plug right now we're doing it in uh, in the television on the 10th of march we're going to talk be talking about this and incidentally that program will also be available in english and polish yes so exactly yeah. well uh, we are out of time Oh, it, time is a cruel master. <laughs> and, uh, it's telling me that we have to stop now. <laughs> uh, the week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the second of March, on ruv.is forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook, through the Ruv app, and on your favourite podcast platform. My thanks to Derek T. Allen and Eina Thorsteinsson, and also to Jon Thor Helgason for running the studio. This week's piece of Icelandica uh, comes from the band that found out last week it had been nominated for eight Icelandic Music Awards, which is more than anyone else this year. So well done to the band Verk. 
And this is their song, In the Dark. Bye for now. I'm gonna die.